Hello, I'm Carl Helliger. Welcome to Book Chat. Today my dining partner is from the Philadelphia Magazine, April White, and the editor of Philadelphia Magazine's Ultimate Restaurant Guide. April, welcome. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Thank you. It's our pleasure. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about your uh, work experience? How did you become, to, at obviously a very young age, come to become the managing editor of Philadelphia Magazine? Uh, well, I am the managing editor of Philadelphia Magazine, uh, which is not the most glamorous job that a lot of people think that it is. But I, my responsibility is basically just getting the magazine uh, together. But also, I've taken over responsibilities at the magazine uh, of doing the food editing. And, uh, and that was a great step for me now or, you know, at any age. Um, I really have a passion for food. I think that showed through to um, my editor, Larry Platt. And, uh, you know, when the opportunity arose, we were looking to expand our food coverage a little bit. Um, I, I was sort of the go-to person there. I had spent so much of my time educating myself on the restaurant scene in Philadelphia. So that was, uh, that was how that step came about. I'm curious, and I'm sure a lot of our viewers are curious too. How does a person become a food critic, and what are the responsibilities? Um, I always say it's a lot of eating, um, but it's probably it's probably less. Uh, it's not Julia Roberts and my best friend's wedding. It's not you know sitting there having everybody watch you through a window, mm -hmm. waiting for you to pronounce what you're going to say about something. Um, I enjoy food. I, I do do a lot of eating. I like going to all the new restaurants. I like trying things I haven't tried before. I'll try almost anything you put in front of me. Um, that's my rule. I'll try everything once. After that, I reserve the right to, you know, not like it so much. Um, and I also uh, really enjoy cooking. So I do a lot of cooking whenever I can manage not to be in restaurants. Mm -hmm. uh, I do a lot of reading about food. I do a lot of reading of cookbooks. I, you know, uh, do a lot of reading of food writing. Uh, and so you get into it like as you do any other beat, it's the way you get into sports writing or the way you get into, you know, um, covering business. Uh, it's just something that you have a lot of interest in really ex like to explore. Right now, when, when you go, do you go announced or unannounced? Or, uh... um, well, I'm not the magazine's primary food critic. We do have a, a food critic who um, very religiously maintains her anonymity. Uh, I do tend to go to restaurants unannounced, but I do also spend a lot of time uh, hanging out in kitchens with chefs, um, you know, talking with restaurant owners because I'm interested in um, how the food is put together, how the businesses are run, that type of thing. Um, so to a certain extent, I do have um, friends and sources in the restaurant business. Okay. The uh, book, the book mentions Philadelphia's re re restaurant renaissance. Mm -hmm. uh, when was that and what made it a renaissance? What changed? Well. For years, ever since I got to Philadelphia, people have been talking about, you know, the restaurant renaissance. Uh, it's something that happened in the 70s, and it was really um, the moment that this city announced itself as a culinary destination for more than cheesesteaks and soft pretzels. Um, it was sort of the moment when some of the uh, more upscale restaurants in town, like Lebec Finn, really came into their own. And also a time where you saw more casual dining establishments. Um, some that aren't around anymore, like Name of Hearts or Lickety Split, um, that people still remember fondly, um, you know, coming into being. And it was a time when people really started to go out to eat more often and make dining the destination uh, instead of, you know, a quick stop before the theater. Um, now, the reason we got to the book and doing the book now is because everyone talks about this vaunted restaurant renaissance. And my argument is it's still going on. You see the influences of all of those restaurants in the new restaurants that are opening, you know, literally a half dozen a month 
um, notable restaurants that are opening in the city all the time. Um, and those are you know, direct descendants of this mm -hmm. renaissance. So when we decided to do the book with Temple Press, um, you know, my editor came to me and he says, you know, is there a book to be done on food? And I said, absolutely. There's a very vibrant food scene in Philadelphia. And even if the rest of the country is only slowly starting to realize we're a dining destination, um, that's probably a good thing. It's easier for us to get restaurant reservations. Uh, you're talking about that Temple University Press. Uh, they send a lot of great authors our way. But it, but it's interesting. Uh, you would think in your own mind, why would a university press want to do a book about food? But the book is actually far more than a restaurant guide. It's a very good social, vibrant history of the food uh, and culinary uh, activities in the city. Uh, what do you, you know, what would you like people the most to take from your book since it covers so many different things? Well, what I'm hoping is people can look at this book as, as, as a menu. They can look at it and say, here are the things that I want to try today. Um, I set it up the way I've always explained it is like any good meal should be. Uh, three courses. I also recommend a half bottle of wine, but I didn't include that here. <laughs> um, it's set, split up into three sections. Uh, the first is the people behind the restaurants. Um, and Philadelphia, we always say, might be lacking in some celebrity, but we have such characters in the restaurant business, you know. We have George Perrier, and if you spend any time on Walnut Street, you have a George Perrier story. And we have um, Neil Stein, who people are reading about every day in the paper, and we have Stephen Starr, who is working on his 14th and 15th restaurants at the moment. Um, so we definitely have characters. So that's the first section. I wanted to introduce people to the personalities behind the food they're getting. Um, and you don't need to know this stuff to enjoy a meal in any of those restaurants. Uh, just like you don't need to know the whole biography of an actor on a movie screen. But, you know, if you know that stuff, I think it informs you and you might enjoy your experience even more. Nice. Uh, you had mentioned about the Philadelphia cheesesteaks and Philadelphia pretzels and Renaissance being more than that. But uh, Maria Gallagher, I guess, is the food critic. She is the food critic for the magazine. Right. She says that uh, every story about Philadelphia food must include an anecdote about Pat Steaks. Do you have one? Um, you know, I do. I uh, moved to Philadelphia in 1995, and it was uh, more than four years before I had my first cheesesteak. And, you know, I grew up in New England, and cheese and steak, we called it a grinder, wasn't really anything, you know, transcendent. So I didn't feel a need to have it. Um, but a friend of mine uh, who I went to college with kept, you know, harping at me, we have to go, we have to go, we have to go. And we finally went, um, you know, one uh, weeknight in the summer, he picked me up, we drove down to Pat's. And maybe the steak and cheese still wasn't transcendent, but the experience really was. It was very essentially Philadelphia. Here are all these people you know, 10 o'clock at night, and this is what they're eating out there in the neon lights. And I think I think Maria actually mentioned her story was that for some reason they ended up there after a concert activity it was four in the morning, and there was a there was a big line <laughs> at four a.m. in the meeting at the Pat Steak. So uh, it definitely is a uh, Philadelphia institution. But let's talk a little specifically. I was, you know, I thought maybe you could share with the audience about George Perrier, owner of Lebec Finn, and his campaign to regain the coveted fifth star. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. We have a story uh, in the book written by our executive editor of Philadelphia Magazine, Ben Wallace. And he starts talking to George Perrier at a very critical moment um, in the restaurant, Lebec Finn's life. Um, after 30 years uh, of being open and having been, you know, a, a huge success, a five-star restaurant for years. Um, 
George Perrier and Lebec Finn lose one of their stars. Now it is still very prestigious to be a four-star restaurant, but George wanted this to be a five-star restaurant. Um, so he took what had been an institution for 30 years and decided he was going to see what he had to shake up in order to make that work. Um, there are stories of him, um, you know, it was a very difficult time personally for him to realize that, you know, his restaurant wasn't living up to the standards it had set. Um, so there are stories of him, you know, and how he tried to deal with this. There's also a story of what he eventually found out was what caused uh, him to lose the star, which was an argument um, that one of uh, his wait staff and one of his um, busmen had in front of a, in front of a, a diner, despite being asked repeatedly to move. Uh, so you know, you find out first why it was that he uh, lost this star, and then what he went through to regain it, which included. Um, Renovating the restaurant included bringing in uh, two different chefs and taking himself out of the kitchen. Um, but uh, he did regain the star and uh, has uh, held it again in 2004. So we'll see what happens in 2005. And uh, he's back in the kitchen himself now. So, you know, he's working hard to make sure that the restaurant stays on par. Very good. A very hard fight. Uh, Neil Stein, the owner of Striped Bass, the author of the article, Stephen Roderick, said he was a man made by fish. Can you uh, explain that? Uh, well, Neil Stein, who a lot of people have been reading about in the papers recently, uh, because you know he's been sort of going down, his empire is sort of collapsing. Uh, the only place he still owns at the moment is Rouge, uh, but. Um, you know, striped bass is what made Neil Stein and what made him, you know, such an important figure in the Philadelphia restaurant scene. And he started, he grew up, his father um, was a fishmonger, he grew up with fish, but at striped bass he turned it into something different entirely. He turned it into, um, you know, a place where people went for, you know, the experience of, of you know, um, drama that he could bring to, to the stage. And so, you know, striped bass made his empire. And, you know, in the end, it was when the fish man stopped delivering that he really had his downfall. Right. Uh, in here, Roderick has an interesting quote. He says, all restaurateurs have megalomania coursing through their veins. you agree with that? You know, I think to a certain extent, anyone who says, I can take something that you can buy in the store for, you know, a dollar and turn it into, you know, a $20 entree. I can do something that you could do at home and I still want you to come to my place. I think anyone who has that type of confidence mm -hmm. um, could be accused of that, sure. But hey, I'm glad that so many of them, so many of them do. Yeah, I mean, as your book clearly brings out, these are men, the high rollers. They spend a lot of money, take some big chances to become the successes they are. They have. I mean, not all restaurants need to be bankrolled in that way. Not all mm -hmm. restaurants need to be the theater that uh, some of our big name restaurants are. Um, some of the best new restaurants that we've had open recently are. Storefront BYOB is owned by husband and wives who are just, you know, taking out a second mortgage on the house. But, uh, but you do need the creativity behind all of it. Okay. Now, um, the article, uh, book also talks uh, about a Stephen Starr. And uh, his empire, his food empire, differs a little from the uh, ones you talked about with Stein and Perrier's. How so? Uh, Neil Stein is not a foodie at heart. Um, the piece we have in there that was written by our editor, Larry Platt, mm -hmm. um, t 
talks about how Stephen spends his time, you know, overseeing his restaurants, and he has really revitalized the restaurant scene um, with 13 in the city. Most recently, um, Barclay Prime, just a couple of months ago, and his vaunted, you know, $100 cheesesteak. But that's what Stephen's restaurants are. They are the $100 cheesesteaks. They are the CNBC, out on the town, um, big name chefs, but also big name designers. You know, you've got... Um, huge design budgets. Uh, his new Continental, that's what everybody's talking about when they walk in there. He's got rattan swings hanging from the ceiling and shag carpet on the roof, um, you know, and uh, an open deck where he serves hot dogs. So you could do at home, but you want the experience of being in this uh, society environment. Right. Interesting. Now, in addition to these uh, extended articles on the high rollers, you talk about uh, a number of articles about a number of people who are probably more mid-level but became successes but seem to be more like grassroots type people such as uh, talk about John Doyle and Kira Baker with Jubilee Chocolates. Right. Uh, yeah, the second section of the book talks about the ingredients. Um, there are some really high quality ingredients coming out of Philadelphia, the type of things that um, people around the country are, uh, are coveting. Um, at Jubilee Chocolates, they're turning out these incredible ganaches, as well as um, they started doing um, fruit squares recently and preserves. Um, but their idea, as the idea with a lot of people that are included in the book, is to take local ingredients and turn them into wonderful products. Um, Jubilee Chocolates is uh, very socially responsible uh, in terms of you know using local and organic and fair trade uh, uh, produce whenever possible. And the first time I tasted their chocolates, I, I had no idea of the philosophy behind their business. Um, I just thought they were wonderful, amazing chocolates. But I think that that adds another level when you say, I'd like to support mm -hmm. local you know, farmers. I'd like to support local people who are trying to make good. Sort of like the Ben and Jerry's bowl. Right, right. Mm, right. Now, uh, also, uh, another article talks about Bucks County, of all places, has become sort of like a, a hotspot for smoked salmon. Uh, and this gentleman, Mac Max Hansen, made it so. How right. did that come about? I think Max Hansen proves that if you are passionate about something, you can you can do it anywhere. I mean, he we talk in the story, it was written by one of our staff writers, Sasha Eisenberg, about how one of his first smokers he set up was basically a refrigerator with a pipe coming out of it. He says it was a very, you know, uh, hillbilly uh, on his front porch. And, um, you know, he... He discovered smoked salmon, you know, like age 18, and, and decided he wanted to become good at this. So he turns out very, uh, a very small amount compared to what some of the big smoked salmon producers in New York do, um, but takes very, he's very careful and very thoughtful about what he's doing. And that has attracted people like Thomas Keller at French Laundry, who's the only thing he's used at French Laundry in 10 years is Mac, Han Mac Hansen's um, smoked salmon. I wanted to talk about one other place, though, the Metropolitan Bakery of Port Richmond. What makes this bakery so special? Okay, this is a piece that I actually had a chance to write for the magazine um, and had a chance to spend some time with the owners, James Barrett and Wendy Bourne. And the great thing about Metropolitan Bakery is, and they said this to me right off, the bread is boss. And uh, they've been open for about 11 years now. And in that time, although they have expanded and have... Um, outlets in Rittenhouse Square and in Pine Street at the Ardmore Farmer's Market. Um, they've never expanded beyond their ability to oversee everything they're doing. Um, 
They make their bread with wild yeasts and, uh, you know, in small batches. And I was there at 6 a.m. and I think he was there much earlier <laughs> watching James, you know, shape bread dough and um, test dough that was rising. And the thing that really impressed me was that James could tell from how something was shaped if it was going to bake up well. And that's the type of thing you only can learn from having your hands on all the time um, and really paying attention to the food. And that's what makes their bakery uh, really successful. Fine. Uh, John Mariani, Esquire Magazine's food critic, what does he say about Philadelphia as a restaurant city? Uh, we include a piece in this book where we said to John, uh, you know, is Philadelphia a great restaurant town or what? John eats all over the country. And he came back and he said, you know, well, I have friends who call me all the time and want to know where to eat in whatever cities they're traveling to. And when they're traveling to New York or San Francisco or Atlanta, they say, help me. How am I going to eat all the places I want to eat in such a short period of time? He said, when I go to Philadelphia, when people are going to Philadelphia, they say, well, other than Lebec Finn, where do I want to eat? And after eating a couple of days in our town, John realized that he's got a whole list of answers, and um, so do I. Some of his include um, striped bass, passion, Lebec, of course, La Croix, and then most recently he named uh, Bliss on Broad Street one of the best new restaurants in the country. Uh, how about you? Do you agree with those uh, selections? His? Do you have others? That um, are I favorites? think those are all great selections. Um, I've really enjoyed meals at all of them. I have a certain type of restaurant that I really enjoy, which is, uh, I'm lucky, we've had a boom of recently, which is your small storefront BYOs mm -hmm. uh, with a you know, seasonal menu that's changing all the time. Uh, so some of the places that I've been eating recently are uh, Django, Madison, Marigold uh, Cafe, uh, Carmine's out in uh, Haverford, you know, those are the places that I've really been enjoying. Nice. Well, uh, April, I thought maybe at this point we can give you a little test here that might help our okay. audience here. I have a list of uh, different occasions, and I thought maybe you could suggest a restaurant or maybe two where which would fit the occasion. Okay. Of course, you know, for a first date, the first place I suggest anybody come is the library to get some books first. <laughs> but after that, uh, what restaurant would you recommend for people on a first date? Uh, well, I think on a first date, you're looking for a restaurant that's very warm, very comfortable. Um, so I think something that fits the bill that's opened recently was is Pumpkin, which is uh, on South Street, uh, up in the Graduate Hospital uh, area, and it's just a place where you there's no pretension. You're just going to be very comfortable uh, and great, um, not fussy food. Uh, so I think that that would be a good suggestion. Nice. Okay. How about celebrating a 25th or a 50th wedding anniversary? Uh, I found that the Fatten at the Four Seasons, while maybe an obvious choice, really knows how to take care of their guests, um, are very thoughtful, their service is very polished, and you definitely enjoy that. Um, another more intimate spot, um, though you know your, your anniversary is coming up, make a reservation a long time in advance, um, is Vetri, which is turning out really creative Italian food with a wonderful wine list. Very good. Valentine's Day? Okay, I suggest for Valentine's Day you just stay in and cook. But if you don't actually know how to cook, <laughs> I would recommend, uh, there are a couple in this book and there's a whole lot more opening up in the city. Uh, I would recommend picking up uh, stuff to go from some of our better gourmet shops, uh, including Picnic uh, in West Philly and some of those wonderful French pastries from Jan. Very nice. New Year's? Um, I like to go something sleek. I would say Budokan if I had my uh, choice this year. Something uh, very classy with mm -hmm. some, you know, um, 
sexy drinks. Okay. How about a place to impress your boss? Uh, I actually prefer when he's trying to impress me, <laughs> but uh, I'm going to go Stephen Starr on this and say mm -hmm. um, Striped Bass is beautiful, soaring, you know, a great spot, and also his new Barclay, which is a, a very hip library, actually. Oh, <laughs> That's their decor. That's right. Maybe I can get a job there. <laughs> um, how about a nice place at a moderate price? Just, uh, nothing um, special. But just... There are a few great categories of choices mm -hmm. for this. One is the BYOB, which mm -hmm. immediately cuts your, you know, liquor price by, you know, a fourth. Um, and one really nice one right now is Melagrano, which is an Italian spot in the city. And also Allison at Bluebell is a, a big hit. There are also some great bars in the city that are doing uh, really good food, like Standard Tap or Good Dog and lots of wonderful ethnic spots um, on Washington Avenue and in Chinatown. Fine. Well, there for our audience, then there's no excuses for anybody flubbing up a special occasion now. We, <laughs> we all know where, uh, which restaurants we should go to. Uh, you included a number of uh, restaurants from the King of Prussia area in the book. Well, what were some of those? Uh, we included in the book uh, Bahama Breeze and the Bamboo Club and Magianos, which are, yes, three chain restaurants that are in the... Um, in the King of Prussia complex, but we find that you know everyone has a different sense of what they're looking for when they go out to dinner, and these are great places to take large groups. They're great places to take um, kids, uh, and they have a really wide uh, selection on their menu, which gives people an option to you know not necessarily go and all want seafood or all want steak. So we included that. We also included one of our favorite um, pizza places called Pizza Pizza. Oh, okay, good to have. Uh pizza. Yeah, uh, I've been there too. One of, one of the only places you mentioned I've been to, but uh, it's a good one. Uh, just, just along these lines, you know, you seem like uh, so many of the independent restaurants we see are closing and are replaced by chains. Is, is that true? Or is that just a perception? Or uh... I'm hoping that's just a perception. Uh, in the King of Prussia area, we've definitely seen a lot of change, uh, chains, and I think that's the economics of it. There aren't a lot of independent restaurants out here, um, though there are some favorites, especially in the Conshohocken area, that have been, you know, uh, opening up or holding on for a long time. Um, in the city, we're getting more chain restaurants, but I never mind more restaurants, as long mm -hmm. as people are still frequenting uh, and enjoying the smaller establishments as well. And I think that's what's happening at the moment. We're getting to have both. Right. So any... Concluding remarks about the state of the restaurant industry at this time. What, what do you see for any future trends we should be aware of? Or You know, I think what's really great is that people are becoming um, more engaged with food generally. Uh, look at the Food Network. Look at our celebrity chefs um, that the whole country uh, is really entranced by. And I think the more people are paying attention to good food, not just large portions, not just, you know, eating because they're hungry or they're sad. Good food um, is a really great experience, a really great chance to talk with friends instead of going to a movie or spend time with family instead of sitting in front of the TV. Um, so hopefully people will realize how, what an important part uh, food can play in their lives. April White, thank you so much for joining us thank today you. on Book Chat. It's been a pleasure, and the book is Philadelphia Magazine's Ultimate Restaurant Guide. I'm Carl Helliker, and this is Book Chat.